0: This is chapter 167 of the WCBS Author Talks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS880Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. Coming up, we explore how fear can be mistaken for prejudice with debut author Jane Nigaro. Then we meet an old spy who's forced to learn some new tricks 20 years after he last graced the page. Show of hands if at some point in your life your family made their feelings known about who you were or maybe weren't dating. Maybe there was even an expectation that you should be seeking a relationship with a certain kind of person, namely someone who shared a similar culture. Author Jane Nigaro tackles that struggle between what's expected and the unpredictability of true love in her debut rom-com, Ties That Tether. She tells us more about her love story featuring a Nigerian woman who immigrated to Canada and the promise she made to her dying father.
1: She promised her father that um, while in Canada, she would stay true to her culture by marrying someone, eventually marrying someone who is Nigerian, just like her. But then years later, she falls in love with someone who is not Nigerian, and she's caught between what her family expects from her and what she wants for herself.
0: I think there are a lot of people out there who can relate to having or, or wanting to meet the expectations of family members, but in your case, the story—it's just there's just so much more behind that, isn't there?
1: Yes, there is. Um, I wanted to explore just the immigrant experience and how someone can feel caught between two cultures, trying to be someone while they're at home and someone while they're with friends with coworkers.
0: And there's also this idea—the uh, central idea that losing of losing one's culture when you move from one country to another, and, you know, the the real fear for the older generations that the, the younger kids are going to forget where they came from.
1: Yes, um, I explored that a little bit because that's really um, a huge part of why a parent might forbid their child from being outside of their culture. So I wanted to bring that perspective into the story.
0: You've said when it comes to that kind of thing, it's not that it's Being prejudiced or being racist. Can you tell me a little bit more why you feel that way?
1: Um, Yeah, Um, I I wanted to convey my books that it's not about being prejudiced or racist. It's just sometimes for the old generation, it's just the fear of their children losing their culture, and um, I just wanted to bring that perspective that sometimes it's just about fear and being afraid of losing what you're still trying to hold on to in your new setting.
0: And like your main character, you were born in Nigeria and immigrated to Canada as a young girl. Is what she goes through the same thing you've gone through, or where are you different in your personalities and your
1: struggles? We went through similar things, like visitations from our family, my mother especially, and just feeling pulled in different directions at home, at school. So in those aspects, were very similar.
0: Are you as a, much of a fan of
1: rom-com movies? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love them, and I didn't realize how much I watched them until I started like um, writing this book and just putting a little bit of them, um, of my favorite movies, throughout the book. So
0: did did you realize as you were writing it as, as and as you were seeding them into the story? Because this is the lens that she views romance through. That oh my god, maybe I watched too many. <laughs>
1: Um, Yeah, I was like, I I, I realized at that point that, yeah, I, I think I watch a lot of romance movies. I guess I love them. Tell me how
0: your own family unwittingly made their way into your story. It was definitely
1: not on purpose. It just, I feel like Azere is, her personality is very much like me. Like, we're very close to being the same people. So it just was basically automatic that the people in my life was part were part of the story as well, and it happened unconsciously. My sister has a role in here. My brother, and it all just happened very seamlessly.
0: Were they okay with that, or did they give you a little bit of grief? <laughs> they
1: were okay with it. It <laughs> wasn't a try. I mean, I didn't, I, 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 didn't portray them in a bad. I wouldn't say they were the characters, but they inspired them to some extent, or, or represented them.
0: Unlike a lot of uh, romance books that kind of end when the characters reach their happily ever after, you take it a little step further. You give us a, a you know, uh, a glimpse at the future via your epilogue. Why did you want to do that for readers?
1: Oh, I explained why in that chapter, because I really do hate it when movies just end with a final kiss. Like, I need more. Um, So I really wanted to give my the readers something else, like if... The story ended with a a final kiss. I wanted to go years into the future and give my readers a little bit of that.
0: I just watched a a great Twitter video of you unboxing your books and getting to see them, you know, physically for the first time. What has it been like for you to be to see this book, which is your debut, come into the world?
1: Oh, it's been amazing. Um, It's been unreal, actually. I've wanted this for so long. And just having a physical book and having people like read my book and my story isn't just to mine anymore. It belongs to so many people. If you can relate, and even if you can't relate, I feel like it's, it's just a story that people can find something they love about. And I just love the fact that people reach out to me and say, I love this about this book, or I saw a section of my life. So it just is amazing.
0: I was going to ask, the book's been out for a little bit, if you heard from readers who said, it, you stole for my life, that's me on the page.
1: <laughs> yes, I've got a lot of DMs <laughs> of people saying, this is basically my story, my parents did this to me. And it's just been pretty amazing that a lot of people can relate to a story like this. And a lot of people have said that Azera inspired them or just one thing or another. So that's pretty cool.
0: It's funny because when I was reading it, it's not my story, but it's my parents' story who both themselves were immigrants from different countries, not as different as your main characters are. But on her wedding day, my grandfather said to my mom, you know, you can still turn around and not marry this guy if you don't want to. (laughs) So it
1: struck a chord with me as well. But she did marry him.
0: She did, and, and and like your story a little bit, the family came together when I came along. So,
1: Oh, that's wonderful. That's a great story.
0: Kids have a way of doing that, as you know. <laughs> yes. So what do you want readers to take away?
1: I, like I said before, I just wanted to bring the perspective that sometimes older immigrants the generation of immigrants, they just they fear that their children might lose aspects of their culture, and so when they say don't date this person, it's not about being racist. It's just about being afraid about losing your heritage, which is so so precious. And so I want readers to take that away from my story, and I want readers to also understand a, a little bit of another person's experience like maybe a reader just was born in Canada or America and they've never left home left their traditions and gone somewhere else I wanted them to understand that it's not always an easy thing to do when immigrants are battling with a lot of things not just trying to fit in but trying to stay true to where they came from
0: and I think those older generations should give us younger generations a little bit more credit for not wanting to run away from our culture completely, right?
1: Exactly,
0: yes. So, can we expect any more books from you? I hope. Of course,
1: of course. Um, yes, hopefully, there'll be one next year. That's the goal.
0: We've been talking with Jane Garrow. The new book is Ties That Tether. Thank you for spending some time to talk to me about it today.
1: Thank you for having me. This was great. It's been 20
0: years since ex-terrorist Pascual Rose was in the espionage game, and boy, has a lot changed since then. Cell phones, GPS trackers, cyber stalking, just to name a few. So why did author Dominic Martel decide to bring him out of retirement for his new thriller Kill Chain? Well, I asked him that.
1: Well,
2: because the world has changed. Um... The the idea to revive the series was actually uh, the publisher's idea. Adam Dunn, the founder of Dunn Books, um, had liked the series when it uh, came out in the 90s. I wrote three books in this series back in the 90s. He liked those books. Uh, he told me he thought they should have done better. <laughs> and uh, when he founded his own publishing company... Uh, Thought that uh, it was a good time to revive that series, uh, particularly because it was rooted in a particular time. The uh, the series uh, involves an ex terrorist trying to go straight, kind of an off the wall character, an anti hero type of character. Uh, It was rooted in the world of the '90s, meaning in particular the 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 end of the Cold War, the breakup of the Soviet Union, and the mut of those old Cold War terrorist groups into organized crime, which was something we saw in the 90s. So I wrote those three books uh, back in the 90s, and then the world changed. 9-11 came along, everything was different, the Cold War is over, that whole world is dead, we have a a whole new raft of problems, a new kind of terrorism, and uh, in particular we have a changed technological landscape with now, uh, with the computer revolution, everything online. uh, Everything from finance to organized crime and espionage. uh, Everything's now online. Uh, So Adam had this idea that we would take this character and bring him into the 21st century and he, he very explicitly said I want the character to be updated. I want him 20 years older. I want to know what he's been doing for 20 years and I want to find a way to get him back into the game, meaning to get him ensnared in uh, skullduggery and intrigue in this uh, brave new world of the 21st century. Uh, So that's what I did. The premise of the series is that Pascual, he was involved in terrorism uh, in uh, the 1980s. I got the idea for the character from reading John Le Carre's novel, The Little Drummer Girl, which focused on that uh, subculture of uh, left-wing European youths that got radicalized. Some of them and drifted into terrorism. Some of them with the Middle Eastern Palestinian groups. Some of them with the European groups like uh, Red Army Faction in Germany or Action Direct in uh, in France. Uh, And uh, I enjoyed the book. Uh, It was also made into a pretty good movie. And I started thinking about that, that whole phenomenon. How do people get radicalized to that extent? What happens to them? And I wondered, do any of them ever have second thoughts? Do any of them uh, think better of it, repent, feel remorse, want to get out of the business? And where does that leave them if, if that happens? And I thought that would be a really interesting character. So in the new series, um, I had to account for Pasqual having been inactive for twenty years. I just had him; uh, I had left him kind of up in the air at the end of the third book. So I now I just decided, well, he went off and hid for twenty years in a little little town in uh, in Catal- uh, Catalonia, north of Barcelona. And I figured out a way for his old connections to ensnare him now in a 21st century plot, a massive money laundering operation involving cryptocurrency. And that's how Kill Chain begins.
0: So, you you know, you mentioned at the top of the interview that a lot has changed, in particular technology, cyber warfare. There was a bit of a learning curve for Pascual. Was there one for you as well as you were writing this?
2: Oh, definitely. Uh, I'm uh, kind of the classic, I wouldn't really call myself a technophobe, but I'm sort of the classic late adopter. I'm always uh, a little behind the curve with uh, technology. So when Adam said, okay, let's let's uh let's bring pasquale into this world i had to take a couple of months and just do a lot of homework and educate myself about all this stuff um learned all about uh you know the the pervasive um surveillance invasion of privacy how uh you know our the cell phones we carry around uh, are easily converted into listening devices that spy on us uh how our computers can be hacked uh it uh it's uh, kind of scary when you start uh, investigating really how much privacy we have surrendered and how this technological landscape pe- can be uh, manipulated by bad actors. Um, and that's part of what Kill Chain is about. The, the book begins with Pasquale being thoroughly hacked, everything from his computer to his doorbell. And um, that's where he finds himself at the beginning of, uh, of Kill Chain, uh, trapped in this net. Uh, by people that want something from him uh, and uh, he has to find a way to hack free of this net of uh, surveillance.
0: The story that follows it almost makes you want to become a technophobe and just bury <laughs> your cell phone and everything else in, in a hole in your backyard.
2: <laughs> I tell you the, the first thing that uh, that I did uh, once I started getting into this was uh, strengthen all my passwords Make sure, uh, you know, I was secure and just my everyday uh, computer and phone usage as secure as I could be. Uh, I read actually a very good book called Future Crimes by a guy named Mark Goodman that uh, uh, was published, I don't know, maybe three years ago. So, uh, you know, things continue to evolve, but I think uh, everything in the book is, is basically solid. I recommend that book to everyone uh, just for a basic education in how vulnerable we are to uh, security breaches.
0: I want to go back to Pasquale himself. And and you mentioned that you were really intrigued by somebody who maybe was disillusioned with, with whatever dogma they had been following and wanted to give it all up. And, you know, 20 years later, he's still struggling with this You know, am I in the game? Am I out of the game? Mm -hmm. Whose side am I on? Whose side should I be on? Mm -hmm. Um, Why is it so interesting to you to write this sort of anti-hero character as you described him?
2: Honestly, Pasquale is in exaggerated form uh, a reflection of myself, you know, like a lot of people. I kind of moved across the political landscape, uh, you know. As I uh, as I grew older, I'm I'm an exemp- uh, example of that uh, statement. Uh, a man who is not a liberal at age twenty has no heart. A man who is not a conservative at age forty has no brain. Uh, and. Um, so Pascal and you know I was never anything close to a terrorist, but you know I uh, uh, went through my left wing phase when younger, and I didn't really wind up a, a conservative, but certainly my views moderated over the years. And you know fictional characters are often you know we use them to uh, we. we we play out in extreme form things that uh, maybe occur in our own lives. So Pasquale reflects my own trajectory a little bit. I thought, what if you did get radicalized to that extent, uh, and, and then you you had a crisis of conscience, and that's really what happened to Pasqual. He has a crisis of conscience. He realizes that this, this endeavor he's... Uh, Devoted himself to is just a massive, you know, it's essentially a homicidal extortion racket, and it's a massive uh, ideological fraud, and all this, and he, he wants out. So, and then he spends the rest of his life dealing with uh, remorse and uh, how do you atone? And uh, but basically, he's just trying to survive because he's uh, made a whole lot of people, some of them very nasty people, really angry. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, So, you know, Pasquale basically faces two dangers after he defects and becomes an informant. Number one, uh, people from his former comrades who want revenge. Uh, And number two, he is now essentially owned by the intelligence agencies that debrief him, set him up under a new identity. His safety and well-being depends on them. And they keep coming back to him for favors. When they need somebody expendable and deniable, they, uh, they come and tap Pasquale on the shoulder and say, hey, we need you to go do this. And if you're caught, tough luck. Um, so those are the two things that uh, will afflict Pasquale for the rest of his life and allow me to continue writing books in this series.
0: So now that he's back, that means there are future plans for other misadventures?
2: Yes, there are. I've just uh, completed writing a uh, sequel to Kill Chain entitled Black Chain, a play on words with uh, blockchain, the uh, technology underlying cryptocurrency. And in uh, in Black Chain, uh, Pascual uh, once again gets uh, snared uh, into uh, uh, an intrigue uh, precipitated by uh, an intelligence agency and winds up uh, having to go to Greece and Turkey, I'm taking him to the eastern end of the Mediterranean in in this one and uh, dealing with the consequences of some skullduggery uh, in uh, the intelligence world.
0: And in the meantime, readers can catch up with your three earlier books, this latest one, Kill Chain, before the next uh, adventure comes out. Dominic Martel, thank you for taking some time out of your day today to talk to us.
2: Thanks for giving me the chance.
0: and that's where we close the book on this chapter next time can you believe it it's already the season for our annual gift giving guide and this year we have so much good stuff to feature we are dedicating two chapters to cover it all now regardless of whether you've been naughty or nice this year follow us on twitter and instagram at wcbs 880 books i'm lisa
2: Cherkovich.